Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is where I want you to hold your spot. We're going to get there here in just a few moments, looking at a message that stands alone, right? Not part of a series. I am beginning a brand new series. While you're turning there, I'll let you know what's coming. Uh, planning to uh, begin next Sunday, and the name of the series is But God. And uh, it's interesting because there are a lot of passages of Scripture, probably more than you would have ever imagined, that have that phrase in it, but God. And it talks about a circumstance of life, and then it interjects those two important words, but God. And all of us have experiences like that in our lives uh, where we would have to lay out a, a difficult experience or a challenge or whatever, and, uh, and yet we also include that, that two-word phrase, but God. And so we're going to pull out about five or six messages in that series, some of those passages that are just startling in a sense because of how easily they relate to our lives. And so we're going to be starting that next Sunday. I hope you can plan to be here. Uh, spread the word, invite folks. If they're not ready to come, encourage them to join us online as we start that series. But today we're looking at a passage that I feel like the Lord led me to uh, in Colossians chapter 3 that, that in some ways would just kind of set the table for this brand new series that we're going to start to look at next Sunday. So Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Now you have probably realized as I have, and you realize that early on, maybe around April or May it began to set in, you realize, you know what, this has been a tough year. Uh, 2020 has been a year that is kind of separate from all the other years. In fact, I would probably say, as you would, 2020 has to have been the five hardest years of my life, maybe, in some ways. It seems like it's been about five years, maybe a little bit longer, depending on what you've been through. But the reason for that is because of the circumstances. I mean, they've just been all over the map. And this year has been a challenge. It's been a challenge for a lot of us, right? And in different ways. For some, the challenge has been personal, right? And you've had a very difficult year for you individually or for you as a family, for others, it hasn't hit so close to home in that way. It's just been the adjustments that have been difficult that, that you didn't see coming. And, and, and you've had to, thankfully, you've been free and clear from some of the hardship, the real legitimate hardship. You haven't lost anyone. You haven't lost a job. Life is largely the same. And yet, there have been so many adjustments. It's just been a, a, a challenge to to your faith. It's been a challenge to your patience. It's been a challenge on a number of different levels for you. That's, that's the way life is, but this year especially seems to uh, have been the case. And what we found is, is that we have an option, don't we, in the midst of a year like this. We have a choice to make, and that choice is either to live kind of above the line and to be positive, or to go below the line and to live negatively. It's when we face these kinds of challenges, and maybe it is the COVID challenges that have come. Maybe it has been a, a, an illness that has come because of that. Maybe you've tested positive, or you've had a family member who's tested positive. Your life has, has in a lot of ways really changed as you've moved through and navigated through that challenge. And, and you've had to decide, listen, am I going to have a perspective that's going to be above the line? Am I going to be positive about this? And am I going to have an eternal perspective? Or am I going to go below the line? Am I going to have a negative perspective? And I'm going to look at this from a very earthly, from a very temporal perspective. Maybe in the midst of COVID, you've, you've had those moments where you've said, you know what, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. Our country's going to be okay. The world's going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. And then maybe there have been those moments, and, and, and even at different times through the day, you've wavered between these two extremes where you've thought, you know what, we're never going to make it. Life is never going to be the same. I don't know that I'm ever going to have happiness the way I used to have it before all of this came up earlier this year. You know, the political season adds a whole different context to it, right, where we have those two choices. Are we going to live above the line or are we going to go below the line? 
You know, there are some that, you know, they say, well, I'll be able to live above the line. I'll be positive and life will be good if my candidate gets elected. And as long as my candidate gets elected, then everything's going to be okay. But if their candidate, right, whoever the there is, if their candidate gets elected, I don't think I can stay above the line, man. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to sink and I'm going to get discouraged and I don't know if we're going to be the, you know, be able to make it through this as a nation. I, I, I just, I'm going to go below the line if the person that I want to be elected ultimately doesn't get elected. And maybe you've been through some of that wash cycle, right, where you've just gone back and forth. Sometimes your attitude is right. Sometimes your attitude is not so right. Sometimes your perspective is healthy. Sometimes your perspective is not so healthy. And what we've been reminded of through this year is that one, circumstances change consistently. But two, what often happens is, and this is not a good thing, is that our attitude and our perspective and ultimately our behavior is linked to our circumstances maybe more than should be. Here's why this is so important. Because if our, if our perspective is not right, then our attitude is probably not going to be right. And if our perspective is not right and our attitude is not right in life, more often than not what's going to happen is then our behavior is going to go off the rails as well. But if we have a proper perspective, and then as a result of that, we have proper attitudes, then there's a really good chance that our behavior is going to be the way it needs to be also. Let, let, let me give an example. Let's just say you've got a perspective of me that's negative, all right? And uh, I'll use myself as the example here. Let's say you've got a perspective of me. You formed an opinion, right? I can't believe he wears that red shirt right after Georgia played, right? He always wears a red shirt. Why does he do that? I just, I don't know that I like that guy. There's just something about him. And, uh, and, and maybe you've got a, a, a perspective of me that is, let's say, below the line. Well, what's going to happen is, based on that perspective, then your attitude towards me is going to go behind, below the line, right? You may have a, an attitude towards me that is somewhat angry, or maybe it's, it's untrusting, or whatever other negative attitude you can think of. Because of your perspective not being uh, uh, where it should be, then your attitude is not where it should be, and then it's not going to be a surprise then that your behavior towards me is going to be less than stellar as well. Your perspective is maybe not right, and then your attitude is not right, and then you're probably going to treat me like dirt whenever you bump into me at Kroger or wherever, right? Because you already have a wrong perspective. But if you have a right perspective of me, and if, if you say, man, he wears red. I love Georgia. He's got to be an awesome guy, right? And, and then your attitude towards me is just going to be a little bit better, and then probably the way you're going to treat me is a little bit better. See, what I'm getting at is when our perspective is not where it needs to be, our attitude is not where it needs to be, and then our behavior follows suit. So why do I say all that? Because that's much of what Paul is going to be talking about here in the book of Colossians chapter 3. And so let me give you a little bit of a background of what we're going to be looking at here. In the book of Colossians, uh, Paul is writing from prison. It's his first imprisonment in Rome. And he would write numerous letters that we would have in Scripture as a result of his imprisonment. One of those would be the letter to the Colossians. Now, the Colossians are a group of believers that Paul had never met. He never, we don't have any biblical record that he went there. In fact, there's something in this letter that makes it pretty evident that he didn't necessarily know them. He had never seen them face to face. There was another person, one of Paul's companions in ministry, that more than likely led many of these folks to Jesus, and a church started in Colossae. And when Paul heard of them, he heard of certain risks that they were facing, certain dangers that they were having to deal with. Here's what was going on. In the days of the believers that lived in the city of Colossa, there were certain threats that centered around Jewish 
people who lived in that region. The threat wasn't that they were Jewish, right? That wasn't the threat. That's never a threat. The threat was the mindset that came with them, and that mindset was that a person is not necessarily right with God through Jesus. They're right with God by adhering to the law. We call that legalism, and this was a threat that was maybe going to creep into the Colossian church because we know now, after we've read the whole New Testament, we know that we're not right with God by keeping a bunch of laws. We know we're not right with God because we do good. We're right with God because we realize we're not good, and we place our faith in Jesus, and He forgives us and gives us His righteousness, right? And so there was a threat to the Colossian church that the Jews that were around there were, were beginning to potentially we're going to infiltrate the church with this belief that, you know, you just need to adhere to the Old Testament law if you really want to be right with God. Well, on top of that was another layer. There were certain pagan religions that were rampant in that region of the world. And right in the midst of that, you had this church in the city of Colossa that had been planted. And there was a threat on the horizon that as these pagan cultures worshipped a variety of false gods, that that would also creep into the church as well. And then on top of that, there was a third layer. Not just the legalism, not just the worshipping other gods and throwing Jesus on the top of the heap. But there was this third layer, kind of the Greek philosophical layer that denied the deity of Jesus and in many cases even denied the humanity of Jesus. I mean, these were real threats that were maybe going to infiltrate the church. And so what Paul did was he wrote this letter. I mean, what intense love he had. He had never even met these people in the city of Colossae. He had never even met the, the, the believers in this city. And yet he, he rattles off a letter from prison, no less, in order to help prevent all of these dangers from taking root. And, and he lays out a, a beautiful argument. And if you ever want to read a, a book of Scripture that lays out an argument for the person of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, the sufficiency of Christ, Colossians is a great book for you to ultimately read. And, and here's why it's important as well, because we face a lot of those same challenges in our own culture, right? There are a lot of folks that are glad to throw Jesus on the top of all the other stuff they worship. There are a lot of people that, are, that are, have this mistaken belief that, hey, listen, I'm a good person, and I've got a list in my back pocket if I need it of all, some other people who aren't nearly as good as me, and surely you know, I think I'm going to make it to heaven based on how good I am. And, and that's not what the Bible teaches. And so Colossians is applicable for us as much today as 2,000 years ago when it was written. So let's take a, take a look at some of this background as we begin to make our way towards the passage we're going to look at today in, in chapter 3. Let's begin to get a feel for what Paul is asserting here in the book of Colossians. He's going to lay out certain truths. I'm going to pull out about five of them real quickly. And the first one I want you to notice is he, he understood the, the power of prayer. He prayed for these people that he didn't even know. Take a look at what it says here. We're going to move through the first couple of chapters of Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, he's talking about their faith. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here I am in prison. I'm locked up in Rome, right? I've heard about you and I've heard about your faith, and I know you face a lot of challenges all around you, but I just want you to know, he says in this letter, that I've not ceased to pray for you. I have been lifting you up in prayer to God the Father. I've been lifting you up to prayer so that he can do work in your life and to ask that you may be filled 
with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is a great prayer for us to pray still today, right? God, would you just fill me with the knowledge of your will? Because I don't want to do it my way. I don't want to get off on my track or my tangent. I don't want to just go through life thinking I've got it all figured out based on my intuition or my intellect. God, I need you. I need your will done in my life, and I need your wisdom, and I need your understanding. That is an amazing prayer to pray for us still today. So Paul says, all right, I've been praying for you. In the very first chapter, verse 9, he says, I have been praying for you. What he does later as he moves through this book is he begins to detail who Jesus is. Look at what he says in the next passage. I want to pull out here, chapter 2, verse 9. He talks about the deity of Jesus. Remember, this is under attack. This is going to be under attack in this church. He says, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. <clears throat> I mean, it can't get much clearer than that. That scripture holds out this picture of Jesus as being God. I mean, Paul says it right here. There's a bunch of other passages too. He says, for in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He is God. I mean, he is not less than God. He is not just a man. He is God. Paul makes it very clear. And then he talks about what Jesus has done for us. Look at what he says. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 21. And verse 22, he says, and although you were formerly alienated, he says to the Colossian believers, and even though you were formerly hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he, Jesus, has now reconciled you in his fleshly body, right? This is Paul making a very clear statement that don't let, don't let the Greek uh, philosophers make you think that Jesus was not, uh, he, that he did not come in bodily flesh. Don't let them think, make you think that. He reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So Paul in this letter has said, I'm praying for you. He said, Jesus is God. He is deity. He also came as man. And when he died for you, he ultimately died to bring you to a place to where you can have a relationship with God. So he talks about that even a little further. Chapter 2, verse 13. Paul begins to lay out not just that he died and rose, but that our lives have been changed as a result of this. He says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, when your heart was not right with God, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. He has changed your life, he says. Man, you, Colossian believers, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he didn't just die and rise again. He has changed you, man. He has reconciled you to the Father. He has, has forgiven you of all your sin. That's why I mentioned this when, when Caitlin was baptized. I said, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about baptism this morning. This is exactly why baptism is so important, not because it saves us, but because it recognizes and publicly proclaims this is what he's done for us. I mean, if you've given your life to Jesus, this is who you are. This is reality for you. This is not something that you hope for. He has given you a brand new life. He has reworked your whole life. The past is gone. The past is forgiven. The past is done. He doesn't even hold it against you anymore. And now he has given you a new standing with God through that relationship with Jesus. So Paul is laying all this out like an argument. And then, then he, he goes in, the last thing I'll make mention of here, chapter 2, he talks about how Jesus is over all, both those who have a relationship with him and also those who don't have a relationship with him. Look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, let no one keep defrauding you, he says, Colossian church, of your prize 
by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he's seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. In other words, don't let people who have their, their spiritual roots in things of the flesh, don't let them make you think that it's all about feeling and experience and less about Jesus. He says, and not holding fast to the head, who is that? That's Jesus, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. He says, it's not about angels, they're created beings. God made them, we read about them in scripture. It's not about your feelings. It's not about punishing your body. It's not about trying to prove to God how committed you are. It is about Jesus. He is the head. He is the one who's over everything. He's sufficient. He's the one in charge. He is God. He is without beginning. He is without end. So Paul has laid all this out. And you may be thinking, wow, it sounds like we're about to start a series on the book of Colossians. No, we're not. But this is important to see what Paul's about to say in chapter 3 when he then begins to talk about our perspective. And so let's get into chapter 3. This is where we're going to focus. We've only got about two and a half more hours to go, and this service will be over. And then the next one will get done later tonight. No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, so chapter 3, this is, where, this is where we're headed. This is our passage today. So chapter 3, I'm going to read through all four verses. And then we're going to break it down just a little bit and make some applications. So he says, therefore, right? That word, therefore, if you've ever heard many people teach Scripture, you've heard this said before, that when you see the word therefore, you want to know what it's there for, right? Why is Paul saying therefore? He's saying therefore because what he's about to say is based on everything that we just looked at, right? That he's been praying for them, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is man, that he is above all, that he came and died and rose, and that for those who know him have their lives totally reconciled, totally redeemed, completely worked over. They have a brand new life on the inside. Paul says, so in light of all that, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, he says, who is our life is revealed, then you also re will be revealed with him in glory. So he says, if you have given your life to Jesus, there is something, he says, that you need to keep in mind. And it has everything to do with your perspective in the midst of this fallen world. Let's jump into verse 1. Paul says, therefore, if, we could translate that maybe even a little more accurately as since. Since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. So Paul is speaking now specifically to the believer. He's not speaking to those who are outside of a relationship with Christ. He's speaking to the person who has already given their lives to Jesus. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, all right, so if you were once in the gutter, if you were once hostile to God, if you were once through your, because of your trespasses and your sins, if you were considered an enemy of God, which is what Ephesians says, if you were once there, but now you've been raised up, Ephesians 2 talks about how we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. If we've been raised up, if your life has been reworked, if it's been redone, if you have been saved and if you have been reconciled, if you've been given a new life in Jesus Christ, he says, if that's you, then keep seeking the things above. And there's that picture 
It's almost like there is a line through the circumstances of our daily lives. And either we can look above the line to the eternal, we can look above the line to the perspective that is rooted in Jesus and his sufficiency in our lives, or we can look below the line to the things that are temporary. We can look below the line and be negative. We can look below the line to the things that aren't going to last forever. Paul says, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep continually, constantly, in the midst of a fallen world, day by day, moment by moment, keep seeking the things that are above. Why? Because that's where your life is. That's where Christ is. What does he tell us about life when we look above the line? He reminds us that you're more than a conqueror. Man, if you've got a relationship with Jesus... You're more than a conqueror. This, this world might kick you in the teeth at times, and you may, you may feel down and beat down and just about to go under, but the truth of the matter is, the reality is, is that through a relationship with Jesus, he's in control of the very circumstances that sometimes get us so far down, and he is the one who ultimately is up to something bigger than we can even imagine, and he says you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. You are, you are not just more than a conqueror, but he's even going to take all those circumstances, Romans 8, 28, and he can work them out for good. Every single one of them. He can work them out for good for those who know him and love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the kind of God we serve. That's When we look above the line, we see that we're never alone. We see that he's always with us. We see that we're never at a place where we can say, you know what, I'm totally without hope in this circumstance. Right? I've lost someone who's special to me, or I've lost my job, or I've lost my retirement, or I've lost my health, or everything seems to be falling apart, and, I, and, and it seems as though everywhere I turn, there's just another hardship waiting for me. Even in that circumstance, it doesn't diminish the fact that life on this earth can sometimes be incredibly difficult. That's why the church is important, because we bond together and we encourage one another. But even in the midst of when the wheels come off, we are never to place without hope in this world. And so Paul says to this, to this little church in the midst of a pagan culture, he says, if you've been raised up with Christ since you've been raised up with him, keep seeking the things above. Keep your eyes above the line. Keep your focus above the line. Don't let it come down to those things that aren't going to last. Don't let it come down to the discouragement. Don't let it come down to the negativity. Keep your focus above the line where your Savior who is in control is. Verse 2. He says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. You know, when we go through periods of discouragement, it is not the circumstances alone that cause us to be discouragement or cause us to be discouraged. What often happens is that the battle is not fought on the level of the circumstances. The battle is often fought in our own minds. And when we begin to forget the promises that God has made us, and when we begin to forget the realities of what Scripture teaches us, much of which I've just mentioned, that He is with us, that He is at work, that He is in control, that He is working His plan, when we begin to forget those things up here in our mind, that's often where the battle begins to get away from us. Paul says for us to keep our focus on the things that are above, and to set our minds on the things that are above. And it doesn't matter whether that's in the midst of political challenges. You know, it, it, this, this time of year, I, mean, I remember when I was in ministry, first starting out of ministry, I had a friend of mine who was a pastor, and he was a little bit older than me, and he used to get so worked up. 
I forget even what the election was back then, but he would get just torqued if the person that he wanted didn't get elected. And it was almost like, you know what? All hope is lost. And you know, that was like years ago. This was, this was in, the, in the early 90s and 20 years ago easily or more. And, um, and he said, I, I remember he would, he would get so bent out of shape and so upset. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are all these years later and we're still here, you know. Things, things haven't completely tanked yet, right? And God is still up to, do, to a lot of good stuff. And I just I encourage you, in the midst of this season, we've got a lot of plates spinning right now, the COVID plates and the politics plates, and maybe you've got some personal plates that are spinning that are, that are really, really challenging to you. Just remember, just, this is a decision that only you can make for yourself. But I think there's benefit here. Paul wasn't thinking about two political candidates in America 2,000 years to come, but I think there's good application. Set your mind on things above. You know, set your minds on things above. Do the things that you can control, right? As it relates to politics, vote. You know, if you want to try to help get your person elected, do that if that's what you want to do. But don't sacrifice the gospel. Don't compromise the gospel. And don't let your heart go in the gutter. Don't let your, don't, don't, don't let your, your hope dissipate if your person doesn't get elected. Set your mind on things above. I mean, this Colossian church, they, man, they had it up to here. And this was an uphill struggle for them. They, they didn't get to meet in a church like we have publicly and to be able to, to broadcast online, live, and to do whatever we want to do, right? They didn't get to do that necessarily. They lived in a culture that did not want them there. And the very person who wrote this letter was in prison for, being, for doing the kind of things he's talking about. And he says, set your mind on things above. Don't drop below the line. Stay above the line. Verse 3, why do we do this? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Christian, have you ever thought about this for yourself? You've died. Guys, you're a dead man walking if you know Jesus. I mean, you really are. I mean, we've died. We've died to sin. It doesn't have to characterize our lives anymore unless we let it or choose it or embrace it. Right? We're dead to sin. That, that, again, that's why baptism is so powerful, because it shows this picture that our sins have been buried. Right? They're not held against us. They don't hold sway over us anymore. They're not our master. We've been raised as new creatures in the person of Jesus. That you have died if you are a follower of Jesus. Since you know him, you have died and your life is not even yours anymore. Paul would say to Corinthian church, as he would write to them, he would say that you are not your your own. You've been bought with a price, the price of Christ on the cross. He says, and your life is hidden. That's a beautiful picture because if you were to go up to someone down on River Street or in Forsyth Park or somewhere on the south side and just randomly pull them out and say, hey, listen, you know what? Uh, Your your life is is over as you know it. You are are dead on the inside. They would not see that as a good thing. (laughs) But for the Christian, it's a very good thing because the sin is covered. And it's not that God leads, leaves us in this world to make it on our own. It says you are hidden with Christ in God. We are protected, we are safe, and we are secure. You are hidden with Christ in God. Paul would say something very similar in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Man, I love this passage. He says, Paul speaking of himself, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
to the point to where he says, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Hey, listen, if you want to try to memorize a verse for the very first time and you don't mind going for about seven or eight lines, give a shot at this one because that, that is the Christian life right there in a nutshell. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. My life is not my own. I died to the old person of who I was. I have been raised up as a new person. And now the life you see me live out in the public square is not even my own life. It is Christ's life, and he's living it through me. Shouldn't that be our goal and our aim, right? There are times when I don't live up to that. There are times you don't live up to that. But that's the bullseye we hope for. Jesus, would you just live your life through me? Would you live your life through me to the point to where my marriage reflects you, to where my parenting reflects you, to where the way I work in the office reflects you, to the way I handle my business with other people, that it reflects you, that when I go about my daily routine, the words that I speak and the life that I live, that it reflects you. Why? Because my life isn't even my own anymore. I died to that person, and now my life can only be characterized as you living your life through me. And anything that people see on the outside is a life lived out by faith in the Son of God. Why would I do that? Why would I lose my life for his sake? Because only he laid down his life and died in my place, showing his love for me so that I can have a relationship with God forever. Paul says that's the goal. Hopefully, we start to see the fog clear. COVID doesn't seem as imposing as it once did for the believer now, does it? The political season with all of its uncertainty doesn't seem as imposing maybe now, does it? Because when we are hidden with Christ in God, what we find is that security doesn't go away because of a virus or because of an election. Paul continues, and he turns his eyes now from the present to the future. In verse 4, he says, And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, right? When that day comes, when he splits the sky, and it's evident to everybody that this is God showing up, right? When he is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So he says, keep your eyes above the line because that's where your life is. Keep your eyes above the line. That's where your Savior is. Keep your eyes above the line. That's where your home is. <laughs> Don't let it drop down below the line. No, you set your eyes, you set your mind, you set your focus on things above. Not on things of the earth. Live as though you've got hope because you always do. Live as though you have a reason to have joy because you always do. And there will be times when you get thrown a curveball. There'll be times when you get a little off track. But don't let your eyes go below the horizon for long. Set your eyes on things above. That's your life. And it all summarizes, in a sense, I think, in a simple statement. And you can jot this down if you want. Let's take a look at this kind of tied all together message point here, that the believer alone, not, not those who don't know Jesus, only the believer in Christ can choose an above-the-line perspective in life. You face a lot of challenges in your life. <laughs> 2020 has been a long decade. <laughs> but you know what? 2021 is probably going to have a lot of the same. 2022 is probably going to have some more of the same. It's just the world we live in, right? It's a fallen world. Doesn't mean we have to live like we're fallen too. It doesn't mean we have to let our joy in our life be dependent on circumstances turning out our way. Hey, listen, I don't want hard circumstances any more than anybody else. 
I'm not raising my hand asking God to bring them. Right? We don't want them. But when they come, there's no reason to let our gaze fall below the line. We've got a lot to look to, and we've got a lot to look forward to. And even until we get there, the God we serve is working it all out in a way that's going to meet our needs. He's not going to be unfaithful, and he's going to get glory if we trust him and walk with him. So where do you need to raise your gaze above the line? What is it that's caused maybe a little bit of negativity? Maybe a little bit of bad attitude? Maybe a little bit of wrong behavior? Maybe you're running some people down, right? Maybe you're treating people poorly because your attitude is not where it needs to be, because your perspective is not where it needs to be. Where do you need to raise that gaze above the line, Christian? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, what is it that keeps you today from making the same decision Caitlin made and showed through her baptism to lay down your sins so that you can have that old past buried and have a new life given to you through your own faith in Jesus? If you've never done that, the good news is you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. A good life isn't going to get it. Even coming to church or getting baptized isn't going to make you right with God. What makes you right with God is when you admit your sin and ask Jesus who died and rose to pay for it to come and forgive and take over. And you can do that right where you sit even today. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for this, this passage of Scripture Lord, thank you that it is rich. It is just absolutely packed full with things that we need to be reminded of, especially in this day and age when, Lord, there are so many circumstances that seem to be out of control. There are so many challenges that come in our lives, not just the, the, the ones that all of us can relate to, such as the, uh, the uncertainties of a political season or the, the, uh, the challenges that come with a virus. Lord, there are also individual challenges that some face today Lord, that are unique to them. There may be some that are here in this room or watching, and Lord, they're in the midst of a challenge regarding their health or their marriage or a relationship. Maybe they're in the midst of a financial crisis or some other challenge that comes in their life, and there's been something that has caused them, as a follower of Jesus, Lord, to lower their gaze to their circumstances. And God, because of that, because of their perspective being rooted in circumstance, Lord, their attitude isn't an attitude of hope or of trust or of joy. And Lord, as a result of that, then, they've been living in a way that is just defeated and disillusioned and discouraged. Lord, for all of us, I pray, God, that we would just put our focus where it belongs, as Paul mentions, above the line that our perspective would be on you, our perspective would be on home that waits us, that, that awaits us, that our perspective would be on who we are now because of you and us. And Lord, no matter what the challenges are, if a man can sit in prison and write a book like this that says these things, Lord, then we can certainly live with that same attitude of hope in the circumstances of our lives. And so God, we thank you for Jesus. He changes everything for us. And God, we thank you for our faith in you. It's what, it's what holds us in place, firm and steadfast in the midst of difficult times. And God, it's that faith in you, Savior, who never changes, that helps us to keep our focus not just on you, but on eternity. Lord, where all wrongs will be made right, where every tear will be wiped away, and where this life with all of its hardship will be just a breath 
in the scope of forever. So God, thank you for being that kind of a God for us who doesn't just change eternity, you change the present when we trust you and look upon you and walk with you. For those who don't know you, God, give them courage to place their faith in Jesus right where they sit today. As simple as a child can do, Lord, to just lay down sin and to invite Jesus with a trusting heart to forgive and take over. Thank you for what you'll do in the life that chooses that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.